It's a gripping movie that you all need to go see. And the enemy doesn't want you to see it. The enemy doesn't want young people to see it. And so they put it at an R rating. So you should read up about it, find out about it. And I'm going to touch on some of that today in specific as to what our part is in reaching the world. Everybody doing good this morning? I can see that uh, the cat's away, so some of the mice are out there playing, but you all are here. Are you blessed today? Yeah, it's a good day. Even though we lost one hour of our life last night, we're here and we're moving forward. Go reach our world. We're going to grow. And as we take strides forward and move forward in our life to grow spiritually, ultimately the aim is, what I'm talking about tonight is the fourth part of it, the W, to reach our world. What is our part? So I love, like, the life of Joseph in the Bible. And one of my favorite, you know, Bible characters. And Bible characters throughout all of Scripture have a way of, of helping to shape our lives as well. And so that's why God puts them in. That's why God gives us his word. It's why Jesus spoke in parables because stories about people's lives and it helps to connect that to your own life. But in the same way, he get, God gave us the book of Esther, the account and the life of Esther, which I'll be talking about most specifically today. And just like Joseph, I feel like both of them kind of have somewhat of the same story but in a different way. Both people that said yes to God, loved God despite circumstances and despite the fear of stepping into the unknown, they stayed with God and as a result, many lives were saved. So in order for us to go and reach the world, it just takes our obedience and we can see other people changed. So we have these little cards now that uh, we got printed front just says, you belong here. And the back side just has our information on it as a church. If you are like, man, how do I go and reach anybody? Like, I've screwed up too much. Or at work, everybody knows I'm just a failure in life. They're not going to listen to me when I tell them to come to church because God has changed in my life. Sometimes our step of obedience is just by saying, you know what, here, just experience it yourself. Because if you invite somebody into the presence of God, they, without question, will experience the presence of God in a unique and a powerful way. And sad to say that, yeah, we sometimes blow it. And sad to say people aren't very forgiving. And so we blow it with this person or that person, and they may never listen to us or trust us again. Because obviously trust needs to be developed. But in order for us to actually reach our world, I want you to recognize this. I, I titled the message really simple. Go reach our world, emphasis on world. But I put a subheading on it that goes with the book of Esther and the life of Esther. If I perish, I perish. Meaning I'm going to step forward. I'm going to do what God has called me to do. And no matter what the circumstances are for me doing that, even if I face ridicule and hatred, even if I perish, I'm still going to do what God has called me to do. Edward Everett Hale wrote this little poem. 
I am only one. But still, I am one. I cannot do everything, but still I can do something. Because I cannot do everything, I will not refuse to do something that I can do. And this is how I oftentimes see it. Most of us will go through life and we'll find things that are very difficult about life. And we just think, I can, there's no way. There's no way I can tackle this. There's no way that I can take on, you know, an entire abortion clinic on my own and try to, you know, stand out there on the street corner praying and protesting and doing all these different things. I can't possibly do that on my own, but it only takes one person to take a stand, to get other people on board with you, and to start a movement. I'm going to share a little bit more about that as I go on here this morning. But I want you to look at Esther 4.16. It's kind of the, the main theme of today's message. Esther says, I will go to the king, even though it's against the law. And if I perish, I perish. She concludes with her life that I'm going to do right, even if the consequences are bad for me. And the result of her obedience is the saving of many lives. And so the question is, could you possibly save someone? Just as you are, just right where you're at in life, the people that you have a connection to, are you saving lives or are you pushing people away? Because we're doing, we're doing one or the other. No matter what, you are making an impact. It might be a bad impact, but you're making an impact. So I want you to, to fix your eyes on that. Salvation comes in a lot of strange ways. I wanted to share this. We were in Toronto last year. So our teenagers, we go and we're going this summer to Mexico. So if you have a senior high student, I mean, best experiences for them to experience missions and the best opportunities to go is when you're young. Uh, even as adults, if you haven't been on a mission trip, you know, Pastor Gary's gone, he's in Vietnam, he takes men with him all the time. And it's one of the things that definitely in my life has changed my life, the perspective that you get on a mission trip. And so speaking of Vietnam, they're of course doing great. And uh, hopefully enjoying some warm weather that we have so been looking forward to. And so praise God for today and this week for some 40s to 60 degrees this week maybe. A little bit of melting of the snow. So continue to pray for the team, you know, continue to pray for our pastor, not just when he's got Vietnam, but pray for him all the time. He's our pastor, he's our shepherd. We should look after him as he's looking after us. So we're in uh, Mexico sometimes, and last year we didn't go to Mexico, we went to Toronto, and I love this because in Mexico, you have a language barrier. I'm not very good with Spanish, the students are like, I took three years, but they can speak like as much as I can. So I don't know why they even took the class. And so the reality is um, they can't talk to people one-on-one, -on -one, you know, because there's the language. We go to Toronto, and it's really awesome because teenagers, you know, are really good at talking back. And it's really awesome when you put them in a context when someone else gets to talk back to them. And they have to try to respond and try to, what do I say? You know, all of a sudden it, it, everything changes, but. Salvation, I want you to recognize, I pulled this out of the book that we use in Toronto because it's, it's quite interesting. Salvation through Jesus comes in various ways, sometimes very strange ways. The author says, my friend Rick, he came to Christ while watching a cigar-smoking 80s televangelist. And Rick went on to be a pastor, and he went to visit this televangelist church 
And he was excited to see the man who had led him to Christ all those years ago. But he left disappointed by the nonsensical sermon. And he was uncertain whether the preacher himself was even saved. But he got saved under his ministry. A woman, he says, came to Christ after two cult missionaries came to her house. She misunderstood their message. And despite their intentions, she prayed to receive Christ into her life. She went to an evangelical church and got plugged in and grew in her faith. God has a way of getting through to people no matter what. The author continues saying, I know people that came to Christ through street preachers and vacation Bible schools, neighbors, friends, family, miraculous healings in their life or in a friend's life, sermons at funerals, sermons at weddings. I've seen people's lives change in all these different contexts. He says, I even met a guy who came to Christ out of Hinduism. He, and the guy says that this guy that he knew, he was a Hindu he was literally, he said, I was bowing down to literally uh, this sacred cow. And the cow kicked him in the face. And he just said, you know, there's got to be a better way. And so he pursued a better way. And he found Christ in the process. You see how God can use any circumstance. You think that you're a screw up. You think that you're messed up. God can use you just in your little obedience. And then that little obedience will spur you on to greater obedience and you'll see such impact in your life. One of them I think that hits home for all of us because we live in such a churchy culture where everyone thinks they're saved. He talks about John. In college, John joined a study group, and they went on this three-week mission trip to Las Vegas, and they were to minister and preach to people on the streets. So as... They were preparing to go. They had these little tracks, these gospel tracks that specifically had the, the four spiritual laws in them to help guide people to salvation. And he sits there and spent some time personally reading through the track, realized that he himself was not saved. And right there, surrendered his life to Christ before he even, that's, that's the best start to a mission, mission trip of all, right? That he actually found Christ, found the very message that he was going to go share. And so we oftentimes get in this rut of thinking that this or that is how you're supposed to do it or I need to sign up to be a missionary in, in order to reach our world, but it's not the case. You can reach people right where you're at. The bottom line is this, God brings people to himself however he pleases. Through weird circumstances, through your mistakes even, God has a way of pulling people to himself no matter, he's always in pursuit. Do you know that God is in pursuit of you this morning? Do you know that God is in pursuit of every single person? Whether you want to believe it or not, whether you think it's true or not, does not make it false. It is going to be true no matter what because God's word is true. God is real. His word is alive. And he's after you. Amen. Amen that he actually loves us enough to come after us, to care for us. So in the reality, when you think about, well, God can bring people to himself in so many different ways, in so many weird ways, why does he need to use me? And that's the trap sometimes we get into because I love the illustration that he goes even further to say, God could just use a parrot and train this parrot to say, Jesus loves you or you're a sinner. You know, and that makes me feel really comfortable because if God can just train parrots to do this, to share his gospel message, then I don't have to be uncomfortable trying to talk to people. All I got to do is like 
bring some crackers and put it in the doorstep of my friends and hope that this parent will come to their house and share the gospel with them. That's literally oftentimes what we wish for. But it's not the way that it always works. Yes, could God do that? Sure he could. But one of the greatest blessings of God is that he chose us. And he calls us. And he doesn't need to use us, but he wants to. So don't fall into the trap of thinking that I don't have a part in this. Because we do. Just because God can use any means doesn't mean he doesn't want us involved. So our involvement starts with a yes. Everybody say yes. So can you say yes to too many things? You can. You can say yes to too many things, for sure. Can you say yes to God too much, though? Now when is God really speaking? That doesn't mean that you jump on every single ministry opportunity and you are busy 24 hours a day and you never sleep. That would be ridiculous. So you say yes to the things and the passions that God has laid in you and he gives you opportunity to speak. And yes, even at times when you're really tired, those are sometimes the best times because God starts working in the most inconvenient times in your life sometimes and he wants you just to say yes. In order to reach our world, we must start by saying yes to God ourselves. That's the beginning point. It's the start of everything. Esther may be the strangest biblical account to go to to help you to understand how we can reach our world. But the reality is God gave me this message and gave me this story of Esther because there's, I can't even get it all in one message. This is where you have to step in and be the body of Christ. Open up your Bibles to Acts 17 and you'll read about the Bereans. I grew up in a church called Berean Bible Church. I didn't know until years later what Berean actually meant and what the Bere who the Bereans were. But in the town of Berea were the Bereans. And Paul says in Acts 17 that the Bereans were of more noble character because they heard the message. They came just like you sat here, heard the message, but they went home and they opened up the scriptures that they had. And they searched the scriptures, it says, to see if what Paul was teaching them was the truth. You know what your job is? It's to not just come in and go out. It's not just, oh, let's just find somewhere where we can be hit with a message and we can go home encouraged but not do something about it on our own. So I might not be able to get all the way through the book of Esther, but hopefully you have read the book of Esther before. And if you haven't, then this is a great week to start. Get through the entire, but it's ten chapters. It's not the end of the world. You can get through it this afternoon. But that's my challenge to you without any question. There's a reason why God directed me to Esther because of her yes. She said yes to something that God put in her lap. She responded, and that yes changed the course of life for many, many people, for all of the Jews at the time. James 4.8 says, say a quiet yes to God, and he'll be there in no time. Quit dabbling in sin. Purify your inner life. Quit playing the field. And I love this. This is a message. Thank you, message version of the Bible for giving it to us like in a way that slaps us upside the head. Because that's what we need sometimes. It's not just like you shouldn't be sinning. It's like, no, quit dabbling in that foolishness. Quit being stupid. Look at the person next to you and just say, quit being stupid. How many of you... How many of you have been a little stupid 
in life. Anybody kind of resonate with that? Like I've been a little bit ridiculous in my life. I've made poor choices. But my question is, what if we actually were people that prayed? What if we were actually serious about what we believed? Because if we, if we pray, that's the evidence in our life that we trust in God. Saying yes to God starts with just being with God, praying, and, and just having a personal time with God every single day. When I pray, it gives evidence that I'm acknowledging who God is, that he's bigger than me, that I am not God, that I must pray to God in order to get through the things that I need to get through in life or to become who he wants me to be. So the act of prayer in itself is a way of saying Yes, in a quiet yes to God. This is the thing. It's not about praying the right things. It's not about saying the right things in prayer because you can be very new in your faith. You could just have accepted Christ yesterday, not even have a clue how to pray, but the words that are coming out of your mouth are not as important as the actual thing of just praying. Yes, you will grow into understanding what's an effective prayer and how can I, blah, blah, all this different stuff, but the idea of just actually stopping to just be with God will bring power into your life. A quiet yes to God can move mountains. Ultimately, prayer moves the hand that moves the world. You want to reach the world, prayer is a way to move the hand that moves the world. We know that Esther said yes, and I'll get to a little bit more about her life here. But do we understand how she got there? It came through fasting and prayer. And in chapter 4, Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my maids will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it's against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So you know that Mordecai is her, is her cousin, and she is a Jew. She shouldn't even have been in the royal line. But the king wanted, got rid of the queen and then was looking for a new queen, and she caught his eye. And Mordecai was the one to bring her to that point. you got to read the story yourself to understand all that's going on. And this is the reality. There's a guy named Haman. He's kind of the bad guy on the scene. And he starts to have this hatred toward Mordecai because Mordecai won't bow down to him, you know. Haman's his second in command now, and he thinks that everybody should bow down to him. But he, well, Mordecai's a Jew, and he believes in Jehovah God, and he's not going to bow down to anybody except for Jehovah God. And so as a result, Haman hates this guy. He makes an edict to want to kill all of the Jews. And Mordecai is in grieving, and he tells Esther, you're in a position, you're in a spot, you're in a place where you can have influence. She rises to the occasion and she chooses to say yes. And this is where she's at right now. She's responded to Mordecai by saying, okay, I'm going to go to the king. And it's against the law to go to the king without the king summoning you to come and talk to him. And so it was risking her life to do what she did. How do we reach our world is by saying yes to God. And how do we say yes to God is through these two things, two ways to say yes saying yes to God in humility 
and saying yes to God in confidence. Because this works actually in prayer. I want you to think about it. Because those two don't think, seem like they actually go together. How do you have both of those? But this is the reality. If you humble yourself to pray, then God will give you the confidence to do what you need to do. Your confidence doesn't come because you're strong enough. You're strong enough because you humbled yourself in the presence of God and he lifted you up. That's the reality about how it works. At first glance, it is. It's kind of crazy to think that, okay, you want me to be humble and you want me to be confident. I want you to recognize that there, it is kind of like oil and water. It doesn't totally make sense. But if you look at Esther, you know that she first humbled herself to the point of saying, okay, yes, I will go. Those are the words that she uses. I will go. And God is calling us and he's saying, will you go? And we're saying, uh, I don't know. Might be too difficult. Secondly, so she humbled herself and said yes to God. Secondly, in humbling herself, she gained the confidence to do what she did. So it's one thing to say, okay, Mordecai, listen, I'm going to do this. You guys pray and you guys fast and we're going to do the same thing. And then I'm going to go to the king and we're going to trust God. It's one thing to say I'm going to go. It's another thing to actually do it. Do you understand the difference? Are you out there today? All right. That's good. Stay with me. The moment that we get rid of humility from our lives, our confidence goes to our head. And that's the wrong kind of confidence. You can't live by that kind of confidence. You can't live by just doing your own thing and thinking that you have the skills and the ability to do it. You have to use your relationship with God to draw near and near and nearer all the time. And he will give you the ability to overcome. Sometimes, sometimes it's difficult. We're going through life and we're thinking, man, I don't know. Or this is what I've seen so many times. So many people have said, I'm going to go, but they don't, they don't follow through and they don't, they walk away from God altogether. So we've shared some of that even at, at men's Bible study. I've seen it all through the years. I remember even young, uh, when I was like in high school and there were all these, you know, newsboys was just coming out. DC Talk was the thing. And, uh, you know, now Toby Mac's doing his thing and all these guys are out doing all, all their own stuff now. But it started off in, the, in those days it was like, you know, Jesus music was the big thing. And then you saw bands go off and all of a sudden they went secular and they, and they denied their faith. And, and it's happening still to this day. So you have to stand your ground even in the world that we live in. You think that you live in this purple, perfect little Bible bubble in West Michigan, but the reality is there are people around you that are always going to take you the wrong direction. And if we're going to reach our world, we just need to continue to say yes to God. If we humble ourselves before God, it is him that's going to lift us up. If we get rid of humility altogether, then we might take risks, but we're going to take risks only when, it's, when it really benefits us. We're not going to take them because God is calling us to do it. We're just going to, you know, we lose sight of the purpose of God and the purpose of the kingdom ultimately. So, so Esther again says, I will go to the king, and even though it's against the law, I'm going to do this. And if I perish, I, I perish. That's quite a conclusion to come to that, man, I'm going to do this. I might die, but I'm, I'm going to do it anyway. So my question for you this morning is how many lives could you be saving I just think about just a, a simple yes. I mean, it just starts with one little thing. 
It's like maybe there's just one pattern in your life that just needs to change. It could be as simple as cussing. It could be as simple as, you know, just being angry or bitter at someone. It could be as simple, you know, we, we use that word simple. It's not always simple, but the reality is just you don't have to change every single thing about your life. You just need to look at one aspect of your life and just start praying, God, change my heart to align with yours. And start praying over one aspect of your life, and then it will flow into every other aspect of your life. How many of us could actually be saving more people just by the way that we live? I woke up this morning and opened up uh, my utmost for his highest, a little devotional. One of the most powerful ones for today. Today's thing, it said, go preach the word. I said, yeah. <laughs> you know, how God, God this, is the, this is the reality. When you say yes to God, when you just are open, God lays opportunities in front of you to make more impact than you ever thought was possible. He doesn't have you make the impact. Like, there's not going to be 50,000 people that are going to come because I'm preaching today. Because that would make it all about me. But God has a way of, of working through you when you stay the course with God. So this is the reality. I think that most of us can look back in our life and say, oh, there's all these different mistakes that I've made and Hopefully you can look back and also say there are a bunch of yeses back there too. And along the way, the yeses had some blessings and your noes to God have some curses kind of that go with them because there are consequences for your mistakes. But the reality is this, after being saved, knowing Jesus personally, we should recognize that we are the tool that God will use to reach other people. And if we want to reach our world first, yeah, we have to, we have to go if you want to grow, you have to go. You're not going to reach anybody if you're not going. If you don't have unity, which Pastor talked about last week, the hour in go reach hour, we're, we're going to reach the world if we're together, if we're banded together. We're going to make impact on the world if we recognize who we are in Christ. Those little cards that are out there, they might be gone. They're like a half sheet of paper. And they have all these, this is who I am in Christ. Take one of those with you. We'll print more if you need them. Because the reality is understanding who you are in Christ will help you to reach the world. Your yes, understand this, your yes right now, today, could save someone else's life. Your yes right now could save your life. So how are you going to say yes? I want to share a story before we dig more into Esther's life because I think this is really important. And it's very personal to me. 72 Ransom Avenue, downtown Grand Rapids. I've been a part of, in the last few months, I've just three different times I helped kind of lead an hour of worship over a span of like a, a worship night that this, it's a West Michigan thing. It's small. It's uh, nothing big and fancy and bombastic. But it's just they put on these worship things and then just try to reach the community and pull people in. And so I, I've got, done this three times. And two times, two of those times, I found myself downtown at 72 Ransom. And the second time, I intentionally set it up so that I could make sure that I could bring Johnny and Emma with me because I wanted them to, to experience, you know, being there and, and a part of it. And when we stepped into this, I've been there before, you know, but I didn't really register with all this. And 
And I went down the steps. It's kind of in the lower level of this building. And, and we're waiting. You know, I put my stuff down. We're waiting kind of in the hallway, and I stepped into this room. It's kind of a memorial room, and I've seen it before, but I decided it's just, it's, it, I appreciate it. It's a memorial room to, to the lives that have been lost to abortion. And it's got, you know, all the tools, and it's got, like, the, the medical stuff. Like, it looks like a medical room. It looks like a room that you would go into um, basically to get an abortion. And, and I, I was standing there, and actually it was Johnny that just said, is this where they used to do abortions? And I was just like, I, I don't think so. I don't know. And then the night went on, and I actually I was actually finishing my time up there of just sharing and singing. And, and uh, the lady that kind of jumped in in between people that were leading songs and stuff just said that this place used to be an abortion clinic that we're in. And it, it literally just, like, struck me in a whole different way, you know, just thinking about the perspective. And so I dug into it, and I, and I looked it up a little bit more. Um, because the place is called Life International, and the building is over 200 years old. It started out as a Jewish synagogue, actually. Later, it became a Greek Orthodox church. Then it was purchased by an investment group, and they turned it into a commercial property. And that's when this abortionist leased the building in 1994. It's called Heritage Clinic for Women, and it was the largest abortion mill in the area. While in business, the facility saw the deaths of 20,000 babies. It's kind of sad. Prayer warriors are in the area met on a regular basis to pray that this place would be turned back to, you know, be reclaimed for God. And in 1999, the building finally came up for sale. And they were so desperate and excited that they could actually buy this building and turn it into what they want it to be and get rid of this abortionist in downtown Grand Rapids. And they fought and they fought and they fought and they spent four years fighting. And they actually, in those four years that they were fighting to try to buy the building, they started this thing, the very ministry called Life International, which is a ministry aimed at opening pregnancy resource centers all over the world. And in 2003, they finally had enough money to purchase the building and they kicked the abortionist out. Amen. And so there's a book. There's a book, and actually the video that you guys just saw, too, is all part of 40 Days to Life. And, and David, um, I don't know his last name, Barrett, he's the director of 40 Days to Life campaign. And they go all over different cities, all over, and they just pray at abortion clinics for, this, for the same thing. But I want you, he came here to Grand Rapids. This place they had just purchased. So it was days after the place closed down. And he shares his story. He recounts the amazement of the fact of actually stepping into this place where just days before they were killing children. And he steps into 72 Ransom Avenue in Grand Rapids, which went from killing lives to now is dedicated to saving lives. And to illustrate the truth, this is what he wrote in his book. He continues to tell a story of a spiritual battle that ensued shortly after the Life International took possession of the building. He recounts that five days after the last abortion was committed in that building, the organization gathered 125 religious leaders to come and pray over the building. Every room was prayed in, and the building was dedicated to God. A few days later, nine Life International board members were meeting in the, to continue to reclaim the building to God through prayer. And one of them suggested, let's start where the abortionist would have started his day. So they went to the back of the building 
to where there's a big steel door that goes into the alley out back where he would have parked his car and would have stepped in to the building. They prayed fervently, and with their leaders, amen, the steel door at the back of the building, which was locked, swung open into the alley and slammed against the concrete wall. The prayer warriors there felt a gust of wind go out and then a light breeze come in and the group realized that their prayers had forced the evil out of the building. And this isn't even the end of the story. This is so amazing to read this. Shortly after this occurrence, a local woman came by and asked what happened to the strong man. Not knowing what she was talking about, the worker there said, you know, can you give me more details? She said, you know the statue of the muscular demonic figure that used to be perched on the roof of this building. I walk by here all the time and I, I always see it. It's not there today. What, what happened to it? There was never such a character. There was never such a statue. The woman, completely serious, insisted that there had been a demonic figure perched on the top of the building, but it was no longer there. And they realize, and this is how he, he claims it in his book, he says, the spiritual transfer of ownership had taken over. And if you know the Bible at all and you know anything about the strong man, the strong man is, is biblically what, what is used to even talk about the enemy, the devil, in your life, to have mastery over you. And this is the reality. This is what it comes down to. The, the spiritual transfer of ownership needs to happen in our churches. It needs to happen in our homes. Do you realize that something that can be so wicked can be turned around and be used for the purpose of God? So I walk into this, this place with a different perspective where the pillars inside are wrapped with this new wood and they have on them the names of God. Because it's been reclaimed for the purpose of God. It absolutely blows my mind that God would allow such evil, but then you look at your own life and you think, well, there's, there's evil in me. And you know what we need so desperately is that spiritual transfer of ownership. You are not your own. You are bought with a price, and that price is Jesus dying for you, for your sin, for your sake, so that you can become a new person, a new creation in Christ. And so how many of us will, like Esther, say, I will go? How many of you will say, hey, I'm going to go even if I might face death myself? When death is at stake, it's like, ah, I don't know. We're too scared to, like, lose out on a steak dinner, let alone having our life be at stake. And so this is the reality. It's like, well, I might lose a friend. Ah, oh. maybe that friend needs to be gone out of your life. I might be ridiculed or I might be hated. Oh, that's just so terrible. Do you think that Jesus might have faced a little bit more than that? On the cross and before he was even on the cross, he was spit upon, he was beaten, he was hated by every single person around him. Even his own disciples, they didn't necessarily hate him, but they sure didn't stand for him other than just John. Go to the cross. Is it really such a terrible thing that we might sacrifice a little bit for our king? I think it's exactly what we need to do. And you, you know why we're not 
reaching our world, it is because we're not really surrendered to what God has for us. So we need to dig in. You guys need to dig in seriously into the book of Esther this week. We, we need to dig into this, this biblical account that it will shake you up. Chapter 1, you have a king and you have a queen, but the queen is being booted. So he's on the quest for this new queen. And Esther is this beautiful woman and he, she catches the king's eye. And through a series of providential events, she becomes the wife of the, of the king. Mordecai, her cousin, set the whole thing in motion, got the whole thing rolling. But Mordecai won't bow to Haman. Who's second in charge. Haman decrees to kill all the Jews. See, there's always a desire of the enemy to want to kill. But God is in the business of taking an abortion clinic and turning it around to now save lives, not take them. The enemy is always looking to steal and to kill your joy and to take you out. But God is always in the business of changing and bringing you around. Mordecai says to Esther, you've been called to this position for such a time as this. It's not just that you're pretty, Esther. It's not just that you're in this palace. It's that God allowed your beauty and he allowed your position so that you could recognize your kingdom purpose on this earth. Do you realize that you have a kingdom purpose on this earth? And how many of us are missing out on what God has for us because we're so busy with our stupidity? It is time for us to actually take strides toward God so that we can reach our world, so that we can actually grow ourselves and we can make impact on other people as well. You get to the final two chapters, and there's an edict to kill the Jews. So because he went and bowed down to Haman, Haman got mad, and he thought that he was all that. Because this is what happens when you just have confidence, you don't have God. And he thinks that he's all that, and everybody should bow down to him. And this is what happened as this edict was to go forth on a specific day. Esther 9.1, on the 13th day of the 12th month, the month of Adar, the edict commanded by the king was to be carried out. Supposed to have been to kill the Jews. On this day, the enemies of the Jews had hoped to overpower them. But now the tables were turned and the Jews got the upper hand on those who hated them. Amen. Are you understanding what I'm saying? You understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? You have to recognize how powerful the word of God is. It's not just because this is Esther and she was this and she was that or the disciples were this person or Joseph was that person. It's happening right here in our own town underneath our noses and we're not even recognizing it. I wish that back in 1994 I was in high school, but I wish that I would have even known that there was an abortion clinic going on so that I could be out there standing and praying against it myself. And this is the reality. Most of us are like, well, that's just embarrassing. I don't want to be the guys out there with the picket, you know, like picketing outside. Like, it's not about that. It's not about being stupid about it. It's about just being the church. It's about being a child of God, having a passion to see something change. So we're here right now, and I feel like you walked into this room and you're thinking, I, I love this story. I, I love how God changed the tide for them. You know, the Jews are supposed to be killed, and now the edict is completely turned around, and now the Jews have the upper hand, and they can go kill their enemies that wanted them dead. And you're sitting in your seat right now saying, 
I want that. Anybody want that for your life? Like there's some things you just wish, I just need some things to change in my life. I, want, I wish God would just, you know, flip this switch and make it happen. And the problem is this. The tables were turned in Esther chapter 9 because Esther was willing to say yes to God. And this is the reality. The problem is that we want the tables turned, but we don't want to be the one saying yes. We want the benefits, but we don't want to make the sacrifice. And we're living so much on dangerous ground because we're not living in that humility with God. Being, being in that state of humility, saying yes to God in humility. Esther took a step up in her position in life, and she ended up as the queen. Pretty fantastic. But she humbled her, even in that position, she humbled herself to realize that I'm not just going to maybe lose my royalty, I might lose my life. But I'm going to humble myself to the position that God wants me, even though the worst may come. Saying yes to God right now gives opportunities for others to say yes around the world. Do you realize, those of you that have gone uh, to Mexico... Ladies that have gone to China or men that have gone to Vietnam, do you realize that your passion and your stick to through the years will actually still continue to make impact on those people? Especially in a day now that they can see everything that you're doing. They can see everything that you're posting on your Facebook. You can stay in communication with people around the world. You can make impact on the world around you if you just stay Focus. Pastor Gary said yes to God when he was a junior higher himself. He's made impact on me. He's made impact on you. He's making impact around the world. And you know what it takes? It takes just staying the course. And I know that this principle is true because Philippians 2.5 says it. Look at what it says. Your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ, who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death on a cross. Esther portrays Jesus Christ as our advocate. He took our place so that when the judgment will come, it doesn't fall on us, it falls on him, and we have a way out. And as a parent, you understand sacrifice, don't you, parents? You understand what it means to sacrifice at a different level than ever before. And uh, when your kids are sick, it's like, man, I... God, just put the sickness on me and let them be free. You know, you understand a little bit about what God has done for us. Ultimately, having kids all together is a, is a humbling thing in so many ways. And this is the reality. If you don't do the humbling yourself before God, God is going to have to humble you. Anybody ever been humbled before? Doesn't taste so good. But it's exactly sometimes what we need. Teenagers are good at humbling you. Any amens in the room? Jeff Allen is a comedian. He says this, teenagers are God's judgment on the world. The world that we're trying to reach, teenagers are the judgment on that world. 
No, he says, it's like God looked down on mankind one day and he said, let's see how you like it to create someone in your own image that denies your existence. Isn't that the truth? That's how we live our lives often with God. We think that we have it all. I don't need, I don't need you now, God. I'm doing good. We've got it all twisted. Esther humbled herself and said yes to something that she didn't really want to do. She didn't like it. She didn't like the idea. But she became queen. She helped Mordecai even stop a plot against the king. You got to read the story to get it all. So when Haman rose up as the enemy of the Jews in a Hitler-like sort of fashion, God was already doing a work in advance to protect the Jews. And this is what I want you to recognize. God is already doing a work to save you. Salvation through Jesus Christ, like spiritually saved, I'm going to heaven, I know God personally through the blood of Jesus Christ, but he's also in a work to protect you every single day. You know when you pull out every single time out of the street, that's God's hand that is protecting you. Every time that tree doesn't fall down on my house, that is God protecting me when the wind is blowing like it was last night. And we miss out on all these different things because our, our mind is not focused on God, it's focused on me. God is doing the same thing for us. And if we humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord, if we continue to say yes to God, he's going to raise us up. There was a decree, like I said, against the Jews. God flipped the whole thing around and the decree was for the Jews to go out and to wreak havoc on their enemies. And this is where it all flips. So first you humbled yourself and now you get to the point where your yes to God turns to confidence. And it's okay to be confident in this mindset because it is a godly confidence. It is God that is stirring it up within you and you're doing what you're confident in is not your plan, but it's God's plan for your life. So you've humbled yourself to the point of, God, I need you. And now God lifts you up to become the confident person to do what God has called you to do. Esther trusted her godly cousin, listened when he challenged her, stood her ground, for her people and for her God, and that confidence saved an entire nation. It always blows my mind whenever you think about Israel, this tiny little country surrounded by a whole bunch of people that hate them. Why are they still here? Because of God. God has his hand on the Jewish people. So you get to the last two chapters and Everything's turning around. It doesn't seem so humble for, for the Jewish people now to be destroying and killing and devouring, but the reality is they didn't devour anybody. Sorry, that was a weird word to use there. They didn't eat them. They demolished them. That's the better word for it. In your humility before God, you can now respond in confidence. And that confidence is not ungodly. It's not unjust. It's actually exactly what God has called you to do. Sometimes you have to speak the truth. Sometimes somebody needs to speak truth to you. And you know what? Oftentimes we like to say, that person's just a jerk. That person is just arrogant. But what if that person is godly? And what you perceive as arrogance is actually exactly what you need to hear. What if that's how God is actually trying to get across a message to you? So you get to Esther 9 and verse 5. And the Jews struck down all their enemies with the sword, killing and destroying them. Not devouring them, destroying them. 
And they did what they pleased to those who hated them in the citadel of Susa. The Jews killed and destroyed 500 men. They also killed the 10 sons of Haman, the enemy of the Jews. But they did not lay their hands on the plunder. plunder. And that's not even enough. This is what's really amazing. The king is like wide open to Esther because God has his hand on Esther. And and the king still, okay, you killed 500 men. Not only that, you killed 10 more because you killed all the sons of Haman. And, and And the king says, what else do you want? Anything you want and I'll give it to you. Wouldn't that be nice, wives? Your husband, just whatever, whatever you want, I'll give it to you. So he's, he's, he tells her that, and she says in verse 13, if it pleases the king, give the Jews in Susa permission to carry out this edict tomorrow also. And let Haman's ten sons be hanged on the gallows. All right, so this is where it starts to sound really cocky and arrogant. But when you're walking with God and doing what God has called you to do, she said, okay, we had this one day where we could go against our enemies according to the king's plan, but ultimately according to God's plan. But now I'm asking for one more day because I'm not finished yet. And this is what's really interesting to me. She says, in the last verse I read, they killed the ten sons of Haman. But now in this verse she's saying we want to hang them. So I had to look this up because it didn't make sense to me. Why would you hang somebody that's already dead? The gallows was not what you think it is. The gallows was not like a hanging with a rope. The gallows was actually a giant pole that very disgustingly, they would lay the person on the ground and basically like a skewer right through their body and they would post them up like like a billboard to say, listen, this is where we stand. If you come against us, This is what's going to happen to you. They made a point. God made a point through Esther. This is is what we have to understand. Esther's mentality was there's more sin that we need to deal with. It's not finished yet. And this is how you have to look at your own life. It's like, yeah, I've I've, I've overcome this thing in my life, but I'm still allowing a little bit over here and a little bit over here. And Esther is like, I'm looking at every single little point in my life that needs to change and everything that I see out there and I have this position God has given me so I'm going to take it and I'm going to use it and I'm going to abolish all of the sin. She is doing what they do in sports called running up the score. This is where it starts to sound really arrogant but it's not arrogant when you're actually walking with God. Running up the score is like we're winning by 50 points but we're still going to get another touchdown on you. And when I go up to the basket to make another point for our team, I'm not just going to like casually throw it, I'm going to slam dunk it in your face so that you understand that you're losing that much more. And it sounds really cocky, but when it's done for the kingdom of God, you go from humility to having that confidence. And then you can overcome and you can do things you never thought you could possibly do. And then you come back to the reality that God is the one that did it for me. And when you see all that God has done, it, it brings you right back to that reality of, Wow, who am I? The point was, you know, God used Esther to make a point, but the point of it all was don't get rid of part of the sin. Get rid of all of the sin. The cancer of sin. You got to have a little history lesson to really understand the context of what's going on. So I'll give you a, a bullet point history lesson. The Jews at this time had to deal with this destruction and hatred upon them because of Haman. Haman was from Agag. 
Agag was the king that Saul refused to kill, way back to line. When Saul refused to kill him, Agag's family and people grew in number with a hatred towards the Jews. By the time you get to the book of Esther, there are thousands of people against God's people with hatred for him. All because Saul didn't deal with what God told him to deal with. If he would have, if he would just have dealt with it, if he would have just said yes to God, you wouldn't be facing what you're facing today. And you know, this is the problem that we have in our country today. Sins that didn't get dealt with years ago keep coming up and keep coming up and keep coming up. And you, so you look throughout scripture and you see that God abolished certain people and booted them out and, and wiped out certain people groups. And it was for a very specific person, purpose because they were evil. And no matter what, if even one person was left, they would bring that evil into God's people. And he said to get rid of them. So finally Esther stands as someone that's willing to get rid of the sin. It's a sin in our life that ultimately keeps us from reaching our world. You know why you don't go up to somebody and share your faith is because, oh, I made some mistakes. How can I possibly share? But you can't. We're not reaching our world because we're too busy focused on the wrong things ourselves. And so it's time for serious change. Anybody want to change in their life? Because, because we need it. We are desperate for it. This is, this is ultimately the whole, the whole deal it's, is summed up in this. We need to fast. That is just sacrifice something in your own life to be with God. I'm not talking about a 40-day fast from food. I'm just saying we need to actually devote time to be with God and to, to love him like we've never loved him before. And you will go from, from fasting to feasting very quickly. That is, you'll go from humility to confidence in your life very quickly. God will do a work in you. Humility is the choice to say yes. Confidence is the follow through to see it happen. And God gives that to you. I love how the book of Esther actually closes out. The book of Esther closes out with a, the feast of Purim. And I didn't even know necessarily what that meant until I really started to read and it actually put me back to chapter 3, which I had already read. But purr, it's not a cat purring, but purr, the word purr, is a word that Haman used to roll the dice. Okay, Haman hated the Jews and said, I'm going to abolish them all. Brings this idea to the king. The king says, okay, whatever you, you want to do. Uh, so he rolls the dice to determine which day of the month that they would be killed. And that roll of the dice is called so in Esther 3, 7, it says, In the twelfth year of King Xerxes, in the month, uh, the first month, the month of Nisan, they cast a purr. That is, the lot. In the presence of Haman, to select the day of the month, and the lot fell in the twelfth month, the month of Adar. That's when the Jews would be killed. And so the Jews, after coming through all this stuff, and after God has changed the whole script, he's flipped it all around and gave them the victory, they chose to make a festival, a, a feast of Purim, they called it, so that they would remember. And you see this all throughout the Bible, that they would set up these different things to remind them of the ways that God has protected them through the years. God ultimately 
per means luck. But if you know God, then you know that there's no such thing as luck. There's just God. And so it doesn't matter if you're rolling the dice. The reality is the dice are in God's hand, and he's going to make it roll the way that he intends for it to roll. And that's true for your life and my life as much as it was true for the Jews in Esther's day. God is the God of what people call luck. The Jews name it. It's kind of like taking it to the next level, you know. Like he's just right in your face, people. We're going to use your same little luck casting of those dice, and we're going to turn that into a, a feast of recognizing that we have the upper hand because God is so much bigger. I want you to understand something. We as a people, as human beings, we, we love sickness. We hate to be sick, but we love sickness. If we didn't love sickness so much, then we wouldn't have to be entangled by all the stuff that we're entangled in. And we wouldn't be so reluctant to, to give God just a, just a little bit more. You know, okay, I'll sacrifice, you know, I'll, I'll do this thing. But a year later, we're not hardly even walking to God or attending church or a part of anything. We didn't love sickness so much, and, and why do we allow all this stuff to continue to happen in our own personal life? And the reality is when it changes in our personal life, then we can go and reach our world. When we grow spiritually ourselves, it's amazing the healing that takes place out of obedience. Out of obedience to God. I want you to listen once again to this, to recognize that just through the power of one, one person, you're just one individual. I'm only one. I started out with this, but still I am one. I cannot do everything, but still I can do something. Because I cannot do everything, I will refuse to do. I will not refuse, sorry, to do something that I can do. What is the thing that you can do right now? Because I always thought, okay, God, I know that you wanted to, like you called me. I was saved when I was in third grade, and I remember it very distinctly. Because I wasn't just saved, I was also called. Like, I'm supposed to do something greater with my life. I need to serve God with my life. That's what God is calling me to. I didn't know what that looked like. I didn't know what that was. And I didn't know that, you know, many years later that I had had the, the opportunity to be approached by Pastor Gary. And he was confirmed by another man in the church that said, he's the guy. Zach's the guy to step in to be the youth pastor, at least for an interim position, and see how it goes. And I, I remember, I, I remember that very moment, it was like inside of me was like every inch of me wanted, wanted to say, that freaks me out. There's no way I can't do that. I hated being a teenager. I don't want to deal with teenagers. Every inch of me, like the inside of me was like saying, no, 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 no. But the word that came out of my mouth, my mouth was yes. Because God has a way of guiding and directing you to exactly what he wants you to be. And I wouldn't be standing up here right now if I wasn't given the opportunity, if I wasn't, if Pastor Gary wasn't so patient. The reality is just one. All, all God needs is one person that's really committed to him, sold out to him. I want you guys to, to close your eyes, and I want you to seriously think about this. 
Because there are some in the room, you know, that, that don't even know Jesus personally. And so right now, this moment, this time right now is actually for you. To just decide, to say, I need Jesus. And if you're in this room today and you say, I don't have that power of the Holy Spirit in my life. I don't know what's going to happen to me when I die. Then it's time for you to, to re respond, to say yes. Will you do that? Because today is your day. Right now is your time. We love our sickness too much. And it's time for that, for that sickness to change. So people of God, I, I want you to pray. I want you right now to pray, to talk to God. Because the reality is that God has a purpose and a plan for every single person in this room. And there are people in this room that don't know Jesus personally. So God, I pray right now for the person that needs you. And they are maybe shaking in their boots right now because they don't know what to do or how to respond and how to change. But I pray that, God, you would reveal to them yourself, your Holy Spirit would rest on them. And that today would be their day of salvation. I pray for, God, the, the person in the room that supposedly is walking with you, they're involved in church, they've accepted you as their Savior, but they just need to change something. Because that person is here today too. For goodness sakes, I'm one of them. So I want you, if you have not received Christ as your personal Savior, I want you just to put up a hand. We're not going to, like, embarrass you. But we want to know who we can pursue to help you to understand that Jesus is the way. He's the one that turns the tide. He changes the direction of your life. Just put up a hand so that we can, we can help you with that. And I know that sometimes it's kind of freaky to do that in this kind of a context, but just know that we are here to, uh, to answer your questions and to help you with that. For all you people in the room that are believers, I want you just to evaluate. It's just a matter of, of actually recognizing that God is moving in your life and something needs to change. And I want you literally to at least stand up to your feet just, just to pour out your heart to God. Because the song says, coming back to the heart of worship. Because it's all about you, God. It's not about me. It's not about my plan. It's about you, God. Take this moment just to pour out your heart to him, just to give him what you need to give them. Just one person making one yes to God, I guarantee you it can change an entire nation.